Well, all good things must come to an end, and today Dr. J. Vernon McGee concludes our study of Ephesians. We're headed next for the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Welcome to Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, and happy Thanksgiving to those in the United States. We're grateful for your dedication to study and live God's Word and for your partnership in this worldwide ministry. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the blessing of your Word. Thank you that through your Son, Jesus, we have life now and in eternity to come. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Here's Ephesians 6 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now we're looking here at the armor that the child of God is to wear in order that he might be able to stand against a spiritual enemy. And actually, the armor is a spiritual armor, and that armor is Christ. And before I read, I think probably I should say that we have seen now that the very important part of the armor was the loins girded about with truth. That's the Word of God. Christ is the truth, and we need to know Him and to know the power of His resurrection. And we need to put on the breastplate of righteousness, that is Christ. He's been made unto us righteousness. That's the only thing that can stand against the devil. But underneath it, there should be that heart and conscience that is clear because of sins confessed, because of a walk with God and fellowship with him. And then there should be the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And that means we should be on the foundation. I tell you, if we're standing on a slippery rock, the devil is going to be able to overthrow us. And if we're standing on sand, I tell you, we'll be overthrown very easily. Now he says in verse 16 through 18, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet, which is salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying on every occasion through prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now, it is probably better to say here, above all, taking the shield of faith, because the shield covered all of the armor. In other words, the shield we're talking about here literally means a door, and it was the shield for the heavy infantry. The hoplites came out, you know, and then there moved in the strong infantry. And this shield was like a big door, and the soldier, he stood back of it fully protected. Now, have you ever noticed that in the Word of God that Christ is both the door to salvation and he's the door that protects the believer from the enemy without. And this is the picture that you have of him in chapter 10 of the Gospel of John. For instance, he says in verse 9, I'm the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Shall go in and out and find pasture. Now, that's salvation. What about security? Notice verse 27, 28. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Well, my friend, that's 
protection, is it not? Here is the shield of faith. Now, faith will enable us to lay hold of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's important. The interesting thing here is that faith enables us to stand back of this door and the fiery darts of the wicked one. And friends, he's shooting them fast and furious today. I remember when I was in college, and that's a long time ago. You have to have a good memory to remember back when I was in college. Well, when I was a student in college, I had a very brilliant professor. He studied in Germany. He was the philosophy professor. I respected him a great deal. I respected his intellect. I think, actually, he was intellectually dishonest, but I did not know that at the time. And I looked up to him, and very frankly, he was taking my feet out from under me because I tried to answer him in class. I should have probably kept my mouth shut, but I was always a student that spoke out. I would say this, that I think the man came to be a good friend of mine. He and I used to walk together across the campus after the class and discuss these matters. I very frankly came to the place. I went to the Lord in prayer, and I said, Lord, if I can't believe your word, I don't want to go into ministry. And I was about ready to get out, and then the Lord, in a very miraculous way, sent me to hear a man who was the most brilliant man I think I ever listened to. And he gave me the answer to that. May I say to you that I then began to learn that when a fiery dart came my way, and I didn't have the answer, just put up a shield of faith. And that's what I've been doing ever since. And the very interesting thing is that the shield of faith has certainly batted down the fiery darts of the wicked one. Well, I can remember when the story of creation, it upset me terribly. Oh, boy, I was ready to get out of the ministry because I couldn't accept certain things. And very frankly, they problem wasn't with my little pygmy mind. I thought it was. The problem was I just didn't know enough. And I put up the shield of faith. And if today somebody would come along with something that would be upsetting, somebody said to me over in Israel, this man and I were walking along, and they were excavating. He says, suppose they dig up something down there that will look like it disproves the Bible. What position are you going to take? Well, I said, I'm going to put up the shield of faith, and that'll bat down the fiery dart of the wicked one, because I've learned that when the fiery dart is batted down, that you get the correct answer later on. How interesting that's been as we go along. I go back to the day when actually they questioned the fact whether John wrote the gospel of John. I think that's pretty well established today. I had questions about that at one time. And the fiery darts, friends, they're coming fast and furious today, and they're going to continue to come. The only thing that will bat them down is this shield of faith. And it's like a big door. These soldiers in the infantry, when the hoplites went by, they were generally mowed down in the Roman conflict. But these boys that came along, they're moving these tremendous shields, and they just put them out in front of them and stand back of them. And the enemy shoots at them everything they got. And when the enemy is out of ammunition, here they come. <laughs> May I say to you, this is the way to stand the fiery darts. Then we're told here to take the 
helmet of salvation. Have you ever noticed the helmet protects the head? And God does appeal to the mind of man. I recognize he appeals to the heart. But God appeals to the mind. And he says in Isaiah 118, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And that is something that I think is very important to see. And then we read in Acts 24, 25, And as he reasoned, that is Paul, reason of righteousness, temperance, self-control, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time when I have a convenient season, I'll call for thee. In other words, Felix had no answer for Paul because Paul appealed to the mind of this man as well as his heart. And then the Scripture says, Romans 10:17. So then faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. God does not ask you to take a leap in the dark. That's not faith. A theology professor, a liberal, said many years ago when I was a student, he said, faith is a leap in the dark. God says, if it's a leap in the dark, don't take it, because I want you to leap into the light. I have a solid foundation for you. How wonderful it is. Now we're told here to take this helmet of salvation. Well, Christ is the salvation of the sinner, and he's the one to receive the glory in it all. That plume that's on top is Christ of the helmet. And he's been made unto a salvation. And when Christ was born, they said, call him Jesus. He's going to save his people from their sins. And Paul said to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, And let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, you see, all parts of the armor have been for defense. Have you noticed that? Everything is for the front of the individual. There is nothing made for retreat. If you retreat, you're going to get shot, just like Ahab did when he was riding out of the battle in a chariot. That's where they got to him. And believe me, my friend, a retreating Christian is certainly an open season for the enemy. The enemy can get through to him. Now we have here only two weapons for offense. First is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Did you notice that? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Christ is the living Word of God. And he used the word of God to meet Satan in the hour of his temptation. And out of his mouth goes a sharp two-edged sword in the battle of Armageddon in which he gains the victory. What is that sword? It's the word of God, my beloved. And some of us need to have a sharp sword going out of our mouth, the word of God, the only weapon of offense, my friend, that you and I are to use today is the Word of God. That's what we're trying to do. Then the second weapon of offense is prayer. Praying in the Holy Spirit. 
Now, I'm going to come to that in another epistle. In fact, the little epistle of Jude. And I'm going to dwell on it at that time. But here, let me say, praying in the Holy Spirit is not turning in a grocery list to God at all. To pray in the Spirit means that you and I recognize our enemy today and that we lay hold of God for spiritual resources and we lay hold of God for that which is spiritual, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. That's what it means, I think, to pray in the Spirit. Now the soldier's example, and Paul is a good soldier, Jesus Christ, and here's his example. And on behalf of me, that to me may be given speech, an opening of my mouth to make known in boldness the mystery of the gospel. It was a mystery because it's not back in the Old Testament as such, that Christ died for our sins, buried, rose again the third day. And that's the message we should give out today. This is the Word of God, on behalf of which I'm an ambassador in change in order that I may speak boldly in this as I ought to speak. And friends, may I say to you, that is the prayer that we cut it here, that there might be given to us an understanding and that there might be given to us a boldness to declare the Word of God. Oh, how important it is to see this. Now he goes on to say here in verse 21 and 22, "...but that ye also may know the things concerning me." What I do, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. Tychicus was the pastor there. Later on, John became the pastor of the church in Ephesus. He shall make known all things to you, whom I have sent unto you for this very reason, that he might know the things concerning us, and that he might comfort your hearts. Paul had a real concern for the brethren. Now we have the soldier's benediction. And this is proper. You remember General Douglas MacArthur said that soldiers do not die. Old soldiers do not die. They just fade away. <laughs> well, listen to Paul. He says here, Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all them who love our Lord Jesus Christ in incorruptness. And here was his swan song over in 2 Timothy 4, 6, and 8. For I am now ready to be offered in the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. How wonderful this is here. He concludes on this wonderful note, grace to you and love and faith. Love here means love for the other believers, which is the fruit of the Spirit. Faith means faith in Christ, which produces active love. And then we have here this marvelous, wonderful word of peace. And this is the peace of God that passeth all understanding. I'll share Dr. McGee's closing shortly, but first I want to invite you to join me for our new study in Proverbs. Listen by app or online at ttb.org 
Or to find out more about this fruitful ministry, call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE. Here again is Dr. McGee. Now we have seen in this epistle the chapters that we have here, six chapters, that the church is a body in chapter 1, the church is a temple in chapter 2, and the church is a mystery in chapter 3. And then in the practical section, the earthly conduct of the church, we have in chapter 4, the church is a new man. And in chapter 5, the church will be a bride. And in chapter 6, the church is a soldier. Now, there is an overemphasis and there is a wrong emphasis that has been given to the great truths that are in these chapters. Actually, the epistle to the Ephesians has received scant attention until recent years. And as a result, there have been those that have come to it and found it so wonderful and rich that they've emphasized something probably at the expense of something else. Now, the church is a body. That is the great truth that we've been teaching actually for years in chapter 1. Now, the church is a body, but it's more than that. The church is a temple. The church is a mystery. And we need to hold all of these in proportion so that you can put a wrong emphasis or, let me say, an overemphasis on the church as a body. And that has been overemphasized to the extent that that's all that people have seen in the church today, that the church is a body. And as a result, very little attention has been given really to the organization of the local church. And a great many people today have ignored the local church, which I think has been rather unfortunate. Then in the church as a temple in chapter 2, and we saw there that we were dead material, dead in trespasses and sins, all of us. And God now has taken both Jew and Gentile and has made them all now partakers of one body. He's put them in a living temple. Those that were dead are now in a living temple. And God has done something brand new. And he's taken the Jew out of Judaism. He's taken the Gentile out of his paganism and put him in the church. Now, as a result of that, we find today that there are those that have ignored the great truth that is here. And they feel like if they're going to win the Jews, they have to become a Jew. And I've heard of those that are joining the synagogue, actually being circumcised in order that they might win the Jews. And then we find a great many that go in actually to these different cults and isms in order that they say that they might win them. May I say that instead of it being that way, God's not building that way. God is taking people out of these organizations and he's putting them in something brand new. I don't care what the Gentile organization is. God is putting them in a temple today that is indwelt by the Spirit of God. And when a group of believers meet, as we've indicated in our study, they meet in order that they might show forth the fact that the 
Spirit of the living God is there. And we're building together for inhabitation of God through the Spirit. So that is a truth that has been warped in our day. And now the church is a mystery. There's a great truth in chapter 3 that God is taking Jews and Gentiles and doing this that brand new, making a new body. And as a result, this has led to hyper-dispensationalism. Now, I'm a dispensationalist, but not a hyper-dispensationalist. I just absolutely cannot accept that teaching at all. But I refuse to give up dispensational teaching. And I have been attacked, I suppose, more severely, and I've always felt unfairly, by the hyper-dispensationalists more than any other group that is around today. And what is the problem? Well, they take this, chapter 3, where the church is a mystery, and they do not consider the body of the temple of the new man or the bride or anything else. They overemphasize the church is a mystery, and that leads to hyper-dispensationalism. You see, all of these great truths can be pushed too far and cause us to overemphasize something and sometimes... It's as bad, if not worse, than to underemphasize certain truth. Then we have in chapter 4, the church is a new man. And the church is a new man means that it's to present itself to the world as a new man, the unity of the Spirit. And that, of course, has been the great tragedy, the fragmentation of the church today. And we ought to, all of us, regardless of our denominational background, or any type of background that we have, that if we come to Christ, that all believers, that we all belong, not only to the same body, but we're a new man to present to the world that we are one in Christ. And that's the reason that we need to play down all of these divisions that divide us and play up the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fact that the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding and directing us. And then the church will be a bride. And my, how that great truth where it says there that a wife is to submit herself unto her husband. And as a result of that today, why, there's a teaching abroad that would make the husband a little dictator, and that the wife is to obey him under every circumstance, and if he even invited her to a bar, why, she should go with him. Well, let me say to you that that is not what Paul is teaching at all, that Christ is the head of the church, but even the head of the church says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And the relationship in a marriage is love. And when God created Eve, he didn't create her to be a menial servant to man in any way whatsoever. You have that stated so beautifully by Matthew Henry. And I never thought there's any romance in that man, but by the way, there was. He says, if man is the head and she is the crown, a crown to her husband, the crown of the visible creation, the man was dust refined, but the woman was dust double refined, one removed father from the earth. And then he makes this very wonderful statement that the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, 
nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. Adam lost a rib, and without any diminution to his strength or comeliness, for doubtless the flesh was closed without a scar. But in lean thereof he had a helpmeet for him, which abundantly made up for his loss. What God takes away from his people, he will one way or another restore with advantage. And what a wonderful and beautiful picture that is. And that is the thought that you have in this book here of Ephesians, that the church will be a bride. And then the church is a soldier. And that is something that's being forgotten today, that there's a battle to be fought. I heard of a church that is being built with sofas in it. My friend, where is the armor today that a Christian is to wear? And that church is to remember it's a soldier in this world, and there is a battle to be fought. Until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved. Jesus Through the Bible is a five-year study of God's entire Word, and together we discover God's purposes in history and our lives, found only when we believe in Jesus Christ. Do you know Him yet?